school at Darville, the nearest town, and now had a daily walk of eight miles there and back. On one occasion, a collision with another pupil gave him the broken nose that characterised him in later years. At the age of twelve, with his education at Darville completed, plans had to be made for his future. Should he work at the farm or continue his education? After much debate, his mother and his elder brothers decided to send him to the academy at Kilmarnock, an excellent school. Alec remembers... There were 50 or 60 pupils in each class. Not much chance of individual attention, but we worked well. The headmaster was considered to be a pioneer in furthering the study of science in schools. We studied two science subjects each year, mostly theoretical. In organic chemistry, physiography, magnetism and electricity, heat, light and sound, and physiology. Meanwhile, his older brother, Thomas, who was already qualified as a doctor, had moved to London and set up a practice at 144 Marylebone Road. But patients were slow in coming, and when his brother John joined him in the capital, the two decided to specialise in ophthalmic medicine. So when Alec himself arrived in London at the tender age of 13 and a half, he found a brand new plate on the door of his brother's house. On it was the single word, Oculist. The house in Marylebone Road became a Fleming community. The four brothers were looked after by their sister Mary, and every evening they would all gather together to play games or invent quizzes. During the day, Alec and Robert attended lectures at the Polytechnic School in Regent Street, where Tom had enrolled them in the business section. As the century drew to a close, it seemed that the path the family would follow had been immutably laid down. Tom had taken a larger house at 29 York Street, bringing his brothers with him, and his practice was growing. Hugh was still managing Lockfield and preferred it to a city life. John and Robert were both working in a factory producing optical lenses. A younger sister, Grace, had taken over from Mary, who had married, as the London Group's guardian angel. And Alec was now working in a shipping company, the American Line, at their offices in Leadenhall Street. Then, in 1900, the Boer War broke out, and in the first flush of patriotism, John, Robert and Alec all enlisted in the London Scottish, a branch of the Territorial Army. This regiment was renowned for its sporting clubs, and the Flemings settled in easily, proving useful swimmers for the regiment's team. Alec was drafted to H Company. The men of each company were self-opinionated, egocentric and obliged to no rules but their own. H Company won the annual shooting competition, largely through Alec's own skill on the range, and this transformed him overnight into one of the favourites of the regiment. The company was never called into action, and the family life of the Flemings went on almost undisturbed by events in the Transvaal. Tom's practice moved to Harley Street, and Mrs Fleming herself came south to look after her younger sons in a new house in Ealing. Then, just as Alec turned 20, his uncle John died and left him a legacy of £250. What should he do with it? The family met, and it was decided that, after all, it would be no bad thing to have another doctor in the household. He took a few lessons and then sat for the examination of the Senior College of Preceptors. To outsiders, it seemed unlikely that he would pass. He had been a clerk and a part-time soldier for five years and had not studied at all during that period. 
but he did have a solid basis of education, an excellent memory, and an extraordinary ability to grasp essentials and get to the heart of a problem. Thus, in July 1901, he passed top of all the United Kingdom candidates. And armed with his certificate, he was now able to choose which medical school he attended. In London, there are 12 medical schools, and I lived about equidistant from three of them. I had no knowledge of any of these three, but I had played water polo against St Mary's, and so to St Mary's I went. This was the first of many decisions based on chance, which were to determine Fleming's career. St Mary's was not an old hospital. It had been founded in 1854 to serve the Paddington area, where the population had grown after the building of the large railway terminus. Fleming began his studies in October 1901 and at once entered as a candidate for the Senior Scholarship Award in Natural Sciences. His closest rival was C.A. Panett, a brilliant student with an exemplary academic career behind him. But Fleming won the scholarship. In fact, he was to win every competitive test for which he entered throughout his life. Panett became his lifelong friend and wrote of Fleming. From the earliest days of his career, he was a first-rate judge of men and could foresee what they would do. He never burdened himself with unnecessary work, but would pick out from his textbooks just what he needed and discard the rest. To his fellow students, he seemed reticent. They admired his memory and his powers of observation, but very few got to know him well. Naturally shy, he could only unbend when playing games, and then he showed the same unconventional originality which he used in his exams. Panet remarked, He always delighted in making difficulties for himself, just for the fun of overcoming them. For instance, he once undertook to play a round of golf using only one club. In sports, he employed the same methods which he applied to his work. He would set himself to grasp the essentials of a technique, concentrate on them, and so win with ease. Because nothing ever presented any difficulty to him, one might be tempted to call him a dilettante, but that would be quite wrong. He was far too serious, too efficient, and too brilliant ever to be described as an amateur. He found a sort of elegance and modesty in concealing all effort. The prizes he won covered the whole field of medical studies. Biology, anatomy, physiology, histology, pharmacology, pathology, and medical practice. But every evening he would close his books and join his brothers playing games, drafts, bridge, or table tennis, shutting his mind completely to his studies. During the year of his anatomy and physiology course, someone told him it would be a great help to him to have the primary fellowship in surgery. Paying the registration fee of five pounds, he entered, and needless to say, passed. But he never became a surgeon, mainly because he disliked operating on living bodies. But being a Scot, I never ceased to regret the five pounds which I had spent to no purpose. I wondered whether I ought not perhaps to have a shot at the final. I knew my pathology, but had no experience in practical surgery, nor any chance of getting any. Still, the second fee was only five pounds, like the first, so I decided to try my luck. 
to his own surprise, he passed again, and was now a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons. Another accident had manipulated the course of his life. He had gone into medicine because his brother was a doctor. He had gone to St Mary's because he played water polo, and he had become an FRCS to justify spending five pounds. Now, chance was to propel him in another direction. He was still a member of H Company and attended the annual camps and rifle competitions of the Corps. A young doctor at St Mary's called Freeman was in the process of reorganising the hospital shooting club, which for some years had been in the doldrums. One day he entered the common room. Are there any territorials among the students? Uh, yes, there's that little fellow, uh, Alec Fleming. He's in the London Scottish. Uh, what's he like? Oh, quite a decent accent. Wins all the prizes. Apart from that, uh, inscrutable. Oh, what's his line? Surgery. But if he sticks to it, he'll have to leave the hospital. There's only one surgical vacancy, and Zachary Cope's bound to get that. Mm, good shot. First rate. Straight away, Freeman decided to get Fleming for his club. At this time, Freeman himself was working in the bacteriology department, one of the disciples of the brilliant and unorthodox Almoth Wright, who had already established an inoculation service at the hospital. Freeman knew he would have to persuade the young Fleming to remain at St Mary's by transferring to Wright's team. I plug the fact that Almoth Wright's laboratory would make a good observation post from which he could keep an eye open for a chance to get into surgery. I told him he'd find the work in the lab interesting and that the company there was congenial. The lab at that time consisted of only one room where the staff lived as a sort of communal life. At first unwilling, Fleming at last agreed, for he, like all the students, was fascinated by Wright. It now remains.